Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today we are going to dive into the deep end and talk about some finance theory. I can already guess that this is going to be one of my least downloaded episodes due to the subject matter, but it is important for me to cover this topic because it sets up my explanation for why the increase in the popularity of index funds is creating opportunities in the market. Today's episode is on the efficient market hypothesis, also known as the efficient market theory or the theory of efficient markets, however you want to say it. The degree to which your market is efficient is extraordinarily important for your investing performance and how much that good performance should cost you. By the end of this episode, I hope to debunk the widely held belief that index fund investing is the best way for everybody to invest. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host. All right, so the efficient market hypothesis is a finance theory that states that the price of a financial asset listed on the market accurately reflects all publicly available information about that asset. Another way to put that is that everything that is listed for sale on the market is priced accurately at its fair value. By definition, this means that you cannot consistently purchase stocks at a value. Now, I know personal finance Twitter and a lot of personal finance blogs love to see stocks go down 1% and then tweet about how everything is on sale. That's not what I mean. Value investing is when you buy companies at a price below what you think the company is worth. So say you do some research on XYZ stock, and you think that XYZ stock is worth $50 per share. Well, you go on your favorite investing app and you check the markets and find out that you can buy it for $30 per share. Well, by the value investor's thought process, because you're able to buy it for less than it's worth, you are almost guaranteed to make money because eventually the rest of the market is going to catch up to you and realize that XYZ is undervalued. Once that happens, enough people are going to buy enough shares that that $30 price is going to go up to the $50 that you thought it was worth. At least, that's how value investing works. According to the efficient market hypothesis, this shouldn't be possible. Since all of the stock prices are always at their fair value, if you calculate a different value, you either know something that the rest of the market doesn't know, which again shouldn't be possible unless you have inside information, or you're just nuts. For believers of the efficient market hypothesis, the absolute best way to invest is to buy index funds. This is because, according to the theory, all stock prices are always at their fair value, and there are no true deals to be had. So if there's no deals to be had, why purchase individual stocks to add to your portfolio when you can buy the whole market and still earn a great return? So that's the theory. But what about in practice? In practice, the ones that do much of the buying and selling in the financial markets are humans. Humans are flawed and emotional beings. Those emotions and flaws are the wrench that gets thrown into the efficient market machine and messes everything up. How about an example? Does everyone remember GameStop two months ago? At its height, GameStop was $483 per share. This is a company that has been losing market share and losing money for years. I actually went and looked it up for this episode. Over the past three years, GameStop's annual revenue has dropped 45%. It's making almost half of what it made three years ago. 
Does this sound like the kind of company where the fair value over the past 12 months has gone from $4 per share to $483 per share? Well, what about Tesla? Tesla right now is trading at a multiple of 1,034 times their earnings. Now, if you don't know how nuts that is, the long-term S&P 500 average is 15 times earnings. The overall stock market right now, we're trading at a multiple of 40 times earnings. To put that into perspective, right now, the average S&P 500 company, meaning the biggest 500 US companies, are priced at 40 times their earnings. What that means is, for every dollar in annual earnings the company has, the stock price is $40 per share. So for example, let's say, and this is hypothetical, I didn't look this up, if Walmart earned $2 per share last year, then the share price with a 40 times multiple should be $80. You just multiply it. $2 per share in earnings times the 40 times multiple, $80 per share. Let's say Starbucks earned $1 per share last year. Well, with a 40 times multiple, their share price should be $40. Over the past 12 months, Tesla has earned 64 cents per share. Using that average 40 times multiple for the S&P 500, which is considered the fair value for the rest of the S&P 500, Tesla's share price right now should be $25 per share. As of this recording, Tesla's share price is $662 per share. So as a potential shareholder of Tesla, you are willing to pay $662 to earn you 60 cents per year. Do you think that Tesla's share price accurately reflects its fair value? So between my examples, I think it is clear that markets are not 100% efficient. To some, this means we can fully disprove the theory of efficient markets. I don't fall into that camp. To me, efficiency is not black and white. Things aren't either efficient or inefficient. It's a sliding scale. Something can be 90% efficient or it can be 10% efficient. I think that the US financial markets are on the high end of that scale, but not 100%. I think the markets cannot ever be 100% efficient as long as humans are involved. Too many people invest with their hearts and don't do enough research. I'm looking at you, GameStop. So let's say that a majority of you agree with me. Markets are mostly efficient, but not entirely. What can we do with that information? Well, I interpret that as you should be mostly invested in index funds, but not entirely. My investing philosophy is to have most of my money in index funds, and the rest of my money I have in individual stocks. Now, I track my net worth every month, so I can tell you for a fact that of all of my money that I have invested, only 16% is in individual stocks. The remaining 84% is in index funds. The individual stocks I invest in are because I see an opportunity there, either for a value play, which I described earlier in the episode, or for a growth strategy. Either way, that I'm going to be able to earn returns greater than the index funds. To prove the point, over the past 12 months, my index funds got me a 61% return. Keep in mind that I'm recording this episode in early April, which this time 12 months ago was about the bottom of the market. So don't think I'm a genius for getting a 61% return. That's just basically how the market did. My individual stock portfolio, however, over that same period gave me a 76% return. So an extra 15%. The point here isn't that stock picking is better than index investing. The point is that the market contains inefficiencies. Those inefficiencies can present opportunities for you to earn a better return than you could have otherwise earned. Now, I gotta be clear here. Over the past year, my stock picking happened to beat the index funds, but I can very easily lose to the index funds this year. I have faith in my picks, but you should never get cocky with your stock picking ability. 
When it comes to picking stocks, you win some, you lose some. Don't get cocky. Keep most of your money in index funds, and if you're interested in picking stocks, put in only money that you are willing to lose. The last thing that I want to talk about is why index fund investing gives stock pickers more opportunities. Imagine for a second that the entire stock market was just a big parking lot, or maybe just a parking garage at a mall or some other venue. You need a parking space. So what are you going to do? You can either drive back and forth, starting with the best spots and working your way to the worst ones, and take the first spot you can find, or you can drive straight to the, eh, parking areas where there is a very high probability of finding a spot. With stock picking, you're doing the first one. You're driving past all of the spots, trying to get the absolute best space that you can. For an index fund investor, you drive straight to the meh parking areas and just take a spot. In 2010, actively managed funds, and this means mutual funds and ETFs that take your money and pick stocks for you, held 75% of all fund assets. As of 2019, those same active funds hold 51% of fund assets. Meanwhile, the passively managed funds, which are the mutual funds and ETFs that are classified as index funds, have grown to hold 49% of assets. Let's think back to our parking lot or our parking garage. Back in 2010, 75% of people were driving past all of the best parking spots looking for the absolute closest and best spot that they can get. Today, only 50% of drivers are doing that. This means that the other 50% are driving straight to the areas where they know they can find a parking spot and just taking one. What this means is that since less people are searching for those prime front row spots, you now have a greater chance of finding an available spot because less people are looking. Let's go ahead and drop the metaphor. If 50% of people go straight to index funds, this means that you have less people looking for those mispriced stocks and investing to take advantage of those good deals. Well, in that case, with less people looking for those deals, you now have a higher chance of finding those deals and buying in before they can be taken by somebody else. Stock picking is not for everyone. Most people don't want to spend the time to do good research, they don't want to take on the risk, or maybe they just don't want to be the subject of one bad news story making one of their company's stock price drop dramatically. There is nothing wrong with that. Don't take anything that I've said today to mean that index funds are bad investments. Index funds are great, and I still think that you should have the majority of your money in them. But if you are willing to put in the time and the effort to find good companies, there is a great opportunity out there to make some solid returns nowadays. I hope that everyone has learned something useful today, and as always, I am open to suggestions for future topics that you want to learn about. Send me an email or a tweet, and I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.